Hello and welcome to the 50th, yes, 50th episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. And in today's episode, we're talking to Aeon's Joe Sharples about what value for money means to her. Hello, hello, and everybody welcome to the 50th episode. So a half century, Darren. Um, we've done uh, very well, I think, to get this far. We have now three alternative numbering conventions. We so do. this is this is episode five of series two. That's, I think, the best way for us to think about it. It is our or number 56 or, or number, number 56. 56. OK, um, but as ever, uh, I'm delighted to be joined uh, halfway through our first century uh, by Darren Phil. Hello, Darren. <laughs> Hello, Nico Aspinall. How are you? How are you? Uh, well. And I'm delighted well. to be joined by you as well. Um, <laughs> I, I was being a bit soppy yesterday. Um, oh, no. I, I, yeah, yeah, I got on LinkedIn. <laughs> And uh, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I sort of uh, decided to put out a post saying I actually look forward to these random chats that we have weekly. It's like oh, my, it's my it's quality such time. Such a man, expressing your emotions. I well know, done. I know. I'm, I'm very in touch. <laughs> I always look touch. forward to it as well. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it. it's lovely, and it's um. You know, we we get to talk about the Arsenal a bit, won't we? But we won't do that this week because well, we're we're, we're basking in the glory too much, we're aren't basking we? Basking in the glory, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, look, so uh, one of these days we need to talk about the cricket um, because uh, the English tour of India is is fascinating. I it think is. very finely balanced. It is um, more finely balanced than we probably have a right to, to hope for. Yeah. Um, but uh, Arsenal were not finely balanced on, on the weekends. No. They, they no. Um, very much demolished poor old West Ham, who I it think... So for uh, all your sort of out of character for them this year. So uh, for our, um, all our West Ham's listeners, you know, yes. um, all we say is Declan Rice, what a player. But I come home, I come home from watching these games, Darren, and uh, speak, speak to my partner. And she, I think her perfect result is a draw. Um, she just wants both teams to walk away happy. Right. Basically, and in her mind, that's a draw. And that's yeah, really okay, sweet. fair enough. So when I said uh, it was six nil, she was like, "Oh, poor West Ham." And, <laughs> and I actually feel that I do feel that. Um, but there we go. Okay, right. Uh, so delighted to be joined this week by Joe Sharples. So Joe is uh, the CIO of DC Solutions at Aon. Joe, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Hello. It's lovely to be here. And I, I hadn't realised in advance this was your 50th or centenary episode or half, half centenary episode. So, <laughs> well, yeah, very exciting. It depends how you count them. It depends how you count them. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows, Joe? I'll take that one. Are you well? Yeah. Are you well? Yes, I'm very good, thanks. It's half term, so I have two kids milling about somewhere downstairs. So we're hoping for a couple of uh, um, outtakes when they come on. So you may get an interruption or not, depending on how they're feeling. Could be a VFM first, a VFM first. I remember, um, yeah, we've done a few events together recently, haven't we? Um, We Was it it last year we did that... um, panel at the Pensions Management Institute? Yeah, it was PMI one, yes. It was, yeah, that was really good. That was... um, I think you did a panel as well, Nico, mm-hmm. on, it was the um, PPI report. Remember, we had Chris Curry on um, oh, yeah. weeks ago, and it was their report on alternatives that was sponsored by uh, World Gold Council. So, you know, mm. They're a client of mine, just to be very, um, very transparent about these things. <laughs> and, um, you know, Claire was like, um, oh, you know, Joe's on um, your your podcast um, this week um, after the post yesterday and said, um, yeah, it's, um, we really enjoyed that, 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 that panel that you're on um, talking about the alternative stuff and the different approaches to investments and, 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 and that. So um, I think she was wishing us a golden podcast. Now, how about oh, there we go. <laughs> this is sort of product placement now. No, it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't at all. It wasn't. But, but you know, it's just, uh, you've got to re- re- reflect and reminisce on these things. <laughs> 
Um, so we also had uh, a panel together, or oh, two weeks ago, um, the Net Zero Investors. Conference, we did, yeah. Um, Get which... on alternatives. Mm, yeah, yeah. You sound quite weary about that, Nico. <laughs> well, um, you know, this is an industry which loves to talk about stuff and not do it. Um, so alternatives <laughs> is one of those topics where loads of people kind of, you can drag up loads of people and everyone's got a view. Um, some people have a product pipeline um, and very, very few people are actually doing it. So, um, you know, the views haven't really changed. Um, I would say, um, but uh, hey ho, it was one of those panels, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I think that's fair to say. There's a lot of it's kind of one of the top talking topics of the last yeah. 12, 18 months. Yes. Um, so, um, and Tim from Schroeder's uh, was up there to talk about how they're actually doing it, um, and and fair play. But I can't remember what the question was. Um, but uh, he was like instantly into like no no I need to do some myth busting here. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> bless him. Like, um, I have to admit I did quite enjoy his myth busting about permitted links, so that was quite yes. a nice diversion. I, I enjoyed it. I don't know about the rest of the audience, but I found that <laughs> quite interesting. That sounds like a podcast in itself, Joe. The permitted links podcast. The permitted links podcast. I mean, I hope that our audience uh, is enjoying a sort of DC technical chat, but I cannot <laughs> believe that there's a strong audience for no, a weekly no. discussion about permitted links. No. Um, although it's needed, you know, it's needed. Anyway, <laughs> so we always start with the news. Um, so, Joe, what have you brought in for us? Yeah, so it's. Um, I the one bit I really resonated with me was it was the inflation data that's mm. come out the last couple of days. So we had the UK CPI number come out yesterday at four percent. So it's it's coming down, but it was a bit a um, little bit lower than expected. But that sort of came off the back of the US data, which again is coming down, but it was higher than expected. So it's it when you look at it, the sort of difference in expectation is it's not very big in the grand scheme of things you're sort of talking 0.1 percent difference but it's it's fascinating how the markets react and the bond markets certainly on the u.s inflation data i won't say got got a bit stroppy but they got a bit disappointed and we saw yield sort of going up on the expectation oh it's going to be a bit gloomy rates aren't going to be cut as soon and sort of that flows over here and then yesterday's data sort of reversed some of that so not quite back on an even keel but it, it was looking at the sort of shape of the yield curve and it's it's quite a an odd shape in that it's it's quite it's got this amazing sort of curve in it a dip and then it curves back up again right. but again it's sort of it, it's quite well it's really interesting seeing that because then it ties into some of the stuff we've been thinking around strategy what do you do with interest rates and default strategies because certainly for us and i think this is true for most of the industry when we set our defaults we did it when rates were at pretty much zero yeah. And that's a really different environment to now when rates are not at zero, they're at five and a bit. And it it certainly made us sort of challenge ourselves in terms of thinking, where do we get returns from? What are the opportunities? I think it's it's quite exciting in terms of there are a lot more decent, decent assets where you can get a respectable level of return from. So it sort mm -hmm. of opens it up and means you have to challenge yourself in a different way. I think DC as a whole is relatively slow to change. So I haven't seen a huge amount of that sort of coming through in yeah. in actual shifts and changes, but it is something I think as an industry, we should be paying more attention to and thinking about. Yeah. Um, and certainly clients are interested in the inflation data because they're often, a lot of them are thinking about their members at retirement. What does inflation mean for them? Yeah. So, so, so I love the concept of uh, the bond markets getting stroppy. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think you should um, you should coin that phrase, stroppy bond markets. It probably um, wasn't that stroppy. It was like a modest little a modest, upset. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The um, SBM. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I think um, you know your your observations in terms of how investment strategies change are really interesting. Yeah, because. You know, defaults, to my mind, within the DC space so far have just been, well, you, you set your strategy and you forget about it and you just implement against it. And, um, yeah, you have your strategic reviews every now and again. Um, but 
there doesn't seem to be a lot of sort of ongoing thought and ongoing I mean, i'm trying to not use the word active management mm. yeah because that's got other connotations and means different things but you know the world's changing and it's changing fast um but but, but still you know the, the the default strategies are very very slow to change you know is is, is that your experience and, and and how do we change that because you know well you don't want to be changing investment strategies every uh, on every whim and every on, on the basis of every sort of different or unexpected yeah. economic indicator but but how do you get that balance right you you're quite right on that you don't want to chop and change all the time because you just a, you end up getting your calls wrong, um, and B, you just have so much frictional cost yeah. and the sort of, I say heartache, but the 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 stress or the the effort of actually making changes can be sort of overwhelming for a lot of schemes. So they they probably wouldn't want to do that. That said, I think there are things you could do to make it easier. So I'm a big big fan of target date funds. I think that makes it a lot easier to keep them keep them fresh and alive and reflecting what's happening. So that's that's something that I think can work well and then you can bring in more of those shifts when you have lifestyles I think it is much more difficult because it's it's member units so if you want to make that bigger shift you often have to change the member units so you've got to go through a whole communication and administration exercise which takes time and it takes effort and it's also has risk attached because you're actually kind of messing with people's units so I say messing that's not the right word to use but you are changing people's units adjusting adjusting Adjusting. so it has to be done correctly otherwise you'll end up um, having to unpick that so Mm. I like target date funds I think they help you get around a lot of that Mm. but I do think as well back to your point there's a lot the dc industry could do to make it easier in terms of having that mentality that yeah it's not a set and forget we are going to come and review it and perhaps do that a bit more regularly even if you don't do anything yeah because reviewing so, so, it and not doing anything is still good so i love that our news items nico because we yeah. start talking about inflation and now we've got target date funds and we haven't really <sighs> spoken a lot about target date funds on this no. podcast and this is totally unplanned yeah, yeah. But, but 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 this was all the rage and of a debate going back about 10 years wasn't it because i think nest have got target date funds within their um, investment infrastructure they call them retirement do. date don't they yeah they yeah and um, i know um was it alliance bernstein and their retirement mm-hmm. bridge um before freedom and choice and um you know they, they were quite big on this and, and others were as yeah well. and, the, and the black rock life path yeah. and, and yeah, yeah. Just, uh, uh, but, but it's, it's a debate that seems to have well not gone away but not to be at the forefront of investment design as it once was mm. um and i think um, people conflated a lot of issues when it yeah. came to target date versus glide path because to my mind they were just sort of different ways of administering things yeah and and i, I really like what you're saying joe about the fact that tdfs can be more flexible you can do more within them it's easier to do stuff in them um do, do you think that debate will come back um, oh, I hope you... it does, uh, yeah. but I think it's probably got buried underneath a whole load of other things at the moment. Um, I do wonder if things like private assets might make it come come back to the fore because, again, it will be easier to do things like that in a target date structure. Yeah. Um, so, and tell our listeners why that is. Is that because you have different slices of um, fund and you can almost yeah. create that internal market between? Different yeah, and cohorts? I think because for every cohort you have one fund and you put everything in that fund so you can adjust it there but you can also think about the liquidity for each fund as a whole so i think that's the challenge of private assets is if you have just a a fund that is private assets and you manage it on its own and then have to have that as a lifestyle and move adjust people's units between say a private assets block and an equity block you could run into liquidity Mm. issues in in terms of making those adjustments If you've got that all wrapped in a single fund as a target date fund, then you've kind of got the liquidity around it. So I think it's easier to manage your cash flows, yeah. make changes un- underneath the bonnet if you need to adjust the asset allocation. I think I'm a convert. So the list of benefits for me goes on and on and on. Mm. Um, I think they're a great user experience as well, because one of the things I see is if you've got lifestyle and self-select funds, you can kind of mix and match them up, but it is a bit yeah. harder. And so when you have a target date fund, I always think of it as just another fund. So you can mix and match it with whatever yeah. you, if you're kind of yeah. more interested, lots of people aren't, but if you are and you want to make those decisions, then you've got that freedom. Yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting debate. Um, I certainly don't see it as quite a dominant, uh, quite so dominant a solution on on those measures as, as you outlined, Joe. I think, I think the point about um, the lifestyle change 
needing a member unit trade is, is well made. And I think that's a really important point to highlight. Um, but it reflects on an industry that hasn't really thought about strategy for <laughs> 20 years, right? So, so it sort of, you know, it just inherited this, say, 10 year glide path and then went, okay, so, so with my pre retirement mix or my bond mix, however you want it, my consolidation mix, that might change. And then there could well be a blend, a white labeled unit out there that I can do without having a member trade. And likewise, like, can I put my liquid assets into the uh, you know, the accumulation mix or my equity mix, depending on how you think of it. Um, so, but but I agree that there needs to be a discussion about, you know, uh, whether a straight line from naught to 100 is correct, right? Or from naught to 75 to 25% cash is correct. Um, but yeah, the debate, it feels to me like um, sort of Betamax versus Laserdisc, and it's just whichever you had your way. Betamax versus right? what? Laser disc. Laser disc. Laser disc. I, I, you What's know, usually, usually people talk about um, Betamax versus VHS. Yeah, like, well, but that was the laser disc was massively ahead of its time. So laser disc is basically a DVD, yeah. um, with four times the information on it. It's um, a Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but it, it was huge, right? So it's the size right. of a, an LP. Right. Um, they're fantastic things. They're collectors' items now because if you think about the box art of these like late 80s 90s films you actually get quite a big image so it's like the uh, final album of uh yeah. VHS. Oh, have you got a collection no i don't no, oh. no, no. i collect nothing physical except for arsenal programs but but so it just feels to me like um people have constructed infrastructure around a format um and um the reason i picked out the two failed formats is that it feels like that, that neither of you are going to change until something bigger comes along. Um, I mean, the main argument against TDF is it's so much more expensive if you set it up for yourself because you're setting up so many more funds. But if you are pooling those TDFs with other participants, then of course that that will drag drag the cost down. Um, the investment argument for TDF that I made uh, at the People's Pension, um, I've never yet seen come to fruition, which is that the only thing you need to do with a target date, except for the member experience piece, which I think is also really important, but the only thing you need to do from an investment perspective is hedge the yield curve. So so when you come to a place where your inverted commas liabilities, taking the actual view of DC, are more certain, then um, you, you would be better to express those in a target dated environment because you know which bit of the yield curve you should be hedging. And you don't want to mix 55-year-olds who've got one unit um, and 65-year-olds uh, who've got 10 units with for different parts of the yield curve. Um, but because nobody's actually, you know, put decumulation into operation, that argument has yet to come to fruition. Mm. Um, but yeah, it feels like, I don't know, there must be the, the, this, a lot of the uh, uh, custody admin platform discussion seems to be uh, this whole blockchain stuff it's got to find a use somewhere <laughs> could well, blockchain... we blockchain eyes admin yep, uh... you, you could like in theory you could yeah yeah um, so, so there so... we go <laughs> excellent so permitting links target date funds well, this is a rock and roll episode isn't it <laughs> Jump, jumping around so so we, we also had the um we had steve webb on last week uh, Joe and he was talking mm. about um, the retirement living standards and the increase in um, the amount that need, was needed to get a moderate or a good um, outcome in retirement, and that obviously is linked to cost of living and inflation and stuff. And um, did did you did you see that? Did you have a view I, on? I on did. Those? And so I was thinking about that as I kept before I came on this morning, and. We were talking about it internally. We had a discussion about it, and it was really the the kind of the, the extent of the jump up in some of the the retirement living standards the amount you needed is quite striking particularly at the moderate level and it, it really then ties into that question around that point around inflation is so that i sit here thinking about a default strategy what it needs to target so we already unofficially link ours to the PLSA's retirement living standards to kind of work out how much money does somebody need work it back in terms of return but actually that was done a few years ago when they were a lot lower and so actually 
we look I look at it now and think, God, oh, those um that amount of money's gone up quite considerably. Admittedly, yields have come down, so perhaps it's not such a big shift in in total terms. But it it really it feels as though the goalposts have shifted a bit, and you you're kind of people are further away. And then I was reading reports about people not saving enough. So if you sort of combine the fact that now you need a bit more money at retirement and people aren't saving enough, it kind of puts, it feels as though it almost puts more pressure on the investments to deliver. Equally then, if I look across the industry and look at sort of how strategies are set up, it does make me question how many strategies will be kind of equipped to to deal with that challenge. Mm. So that's a, a bit of a concern I have that people perhaps don't think, or people don't really think about the end outcome and what it means and link it back to, to investments. And I suspect the communication around that for members probably isn't what it should be. So it does feel a bit of a sort of sleepwalking, sleepwalking moment. Yeah. But again, it's how you get people to, to wake up and the answers are the answers not necessarily palatable in terms of putting more money into your pension. That's, that's a, a hard conversation to have with somebody with all the cost of living stuff that's going on at the moment. It, it feels like we're in between a rock and a hard place on this, in a way, because, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of their uh, retirement living standards. I think having something like that is far better than stuff that we used to talk about before, like replacement ratios and, 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 and things like that. But Yeah, it's so much know, easier, isn't it? To it, it is, yeah. yeah and and just easier. talking about, you know, whether you can have... Um, I don't know, Foster's or Stella or whatever the comparators yeah. are between different forms of lager or, you know, different types of wine or, 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 or holidays or whatever. But but it does strike me that, you know, some of these are becoming unattainable for, um, you know, a vast the vast majority of people. Like, you need investment to do more heavy lifting, yeah, um, which will lead into the cost debate and the volatility debate and you know well and the uk clc and the liquids right uh, and uh, uh, dare we say it like you know this is you can't have an episode without doing a brexit cough you know um can we do okay <laughs> and that's uh well uh, that's that's uh tickling your throat mate it's, uh, <laughs> it, it certainly is it certainly is um you know um uh, but, but but equally like you know, with a DC board of any pension, if you're if you're spreading income over the long term, which you are in a pension, you know, money in equates to money out, and um, you know, it's it's it was difficult enough to get up to eight percent contributions, and you know, if you just look at the Australian experience to get up to where they are now, it's taken years. You know, can we ever get there, Joe? Well, that's a really hard question to answer. I, I, I'm always an optimist. I said that to Nico when I was on the panel the other day. So I'd like to say, yes, I think we can get there. But um, it, it, it is, I think it's going to be tricky as well, because I know talking to some clients, particularly in certain industries, um, we see quite a big dispersion in returns. And so some, some employers are already paying more and are sort of well on track. Other ones are probably just at the minimum. And actually for them, if you ask them to put their contributions up, it has a knock-on impact on their profitability, how yeah. they bid for contracts, all of that. So there's a lot of sort of unintended consequences. So it's a debatable as to how much pressure you put on the individual versus the employer. And for the individuals, it, it's that how do you get people to value saving for tomorrow when they can have something now? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's that's a more societal shift. Yeah. Whether that's possible, I'll throw that question back to you. Do you? I mean, it'd be nice to think it is. I think throwing it at the employer and regulating to increase their share of the pensions load, which at the moment is, is, is heavier on their employee. And that is unique in the Western world, right? It's a very strange settlement that we have. Um, but throwing it to the employer and saying, okay, you know, half percent a year for the next X years, um, uh, I get that. But but I think encouraging, you know, 30-year-old Nico to think about 70-year-old Nico um, when 30-year-old Nico is deep in debt, uh, has just seen inflation increase um, by sort of cumulative 15% over the last couple of years and uh, had wages increased by 4%. You know, I, I think you're onto a very a sticky tough, wicket there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, I think those bits of behavioural finance in terms of just just how irrelevant that old man is to me um uh, as well as the immediacy of you know heating or eating um which is going to be with us for a long time unfortunately mm. um i think i think that makes the the sort of 
the engaged decision very difficult very difficult mm. indeed yeah and there's a d- debate to be had and we've we've picked up on state pension quite a lot in the last couple of podcasts because we had mm. steve webb and um rebel lord willits but the um the role of the state in this um, is absolutely crucial you know so what should that level of the uh, state pension actually be to provide that foundation what is the uprating policy you know what is the outcome that we're trying to achieve with the state pension is yeah. it, it is it just a poverty um, safety blanket you know always mm-hmm. or, or do we want it to play a slightly um, a, a better role um, the role of the tax relief system and I know you want to come in, Jay, but um, the, the role of the tax relief system. So, to, you know, t- to what extent do we incentivise, or actually, should we think about well, how we reward pension savings? You know, can we use that tax relief actually better? Because we seem to spend a lot more time and a lot more money incentivising. And I'm doing that podcast faux pas now of putting um, <laughs> inverted. You know, incentivizing people to save in DB schemes, which um, to me just sort of doesn't compute. And, you know, are we really rewarding um, DC savers for the choices and the sacrifices that they're actually making? Because it is it's actually real money. Anyway, um, Joe. I was, I was actually going to just go back to your, your point, thinking about the PLSA, uh, the, the standards and the state pension, because actually there was a snippet that came out, because I think for the minimum standards, it was the first time where if you look at the minimum standard and state pension, because the state pension's obviously gone up as well, but it means that for an individual targeting the minimum, and I appreciate that won't be everybody by any means, but they need a smaller proportion of, of that target to come from their private provision. So actually more is provided by the state. And I think for a couple if you add their two state pensions together, that was actually the first time it had exceeded the minimum. So it was more to say it wasn't quite as doomy and gloomy, but it said so for the minimum level, there was a bit of bright news in there. I think it's for the moderate level because actually a lot of people want to target a bit more yeah. in terms of their lifestyle choices. Mm. And actually it was the moderate bit that got sort of biggest increase, yeah. but certainly for sort of the those that the targeting the lower levels, it wasn't quite as bad. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. You are an optimist. Silver linings, yeah. Um, we, we, we need you to keep on being optimistic for us as we yeah. go through the other news stories. I, I can't move away from the safety blanket that Darren outlined. I think safety net is what people normally refer to uh, state pension as, as being. <laughs> a safety blanket is what a kid has, isn't it? To, it's to it, make it, them feel it. good. But but that that maybe that's where the state pension is moving to. There we maybe. go. I know that was the Freudian <laughs> slip, so I don't want to labour okay. it too much. Thank you, uh, okay. Darren. What, what it's, 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 it's lovely to spend these. <laughs> I take back what I said <laughs> I earlier. Forward to it. Sorry, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> I take um, Darren, so, what's your news story? What's well, my news story is um, is, is is how we sort all this out. Yeah. Oh wow. And and it and it's great that we're um, we're getting momentum behind our original idea, Nico, for a pensions commission. Uh, you know, this is something, Joe, that we've actually been arguing for um since day one. Uh, we just just for the record, we um we make no claims about the originality of um, <laughs> um, calling for this whatsoever. On this podcast, uh, we can make whatever claims we want. We, we I, can, you know, yeah, but, but you know, yeah, we, 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 we can we can we can make claims, but they, you know, yeah, uh, they can be refuted quite easily. Um, but I um I just saw uh, um I think it was in the last couple of days that People's Pension commissioned um, the Landcap. And probably mm. specifically Tom McPhail um, to do a report into how you solve a problem like DC pensions, um, and you know it's a it's a it's a good report. Um, you know if, if you've got someone like Tom um, leading the charge on something like that, it's going to be very balanced, very rounded, and um, intellectually strong, which is which is great. And I think the um, you know the way that the Langkank do these reports is yeah the client has to sort of cough up the money um to 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 sponsor the report but it is it is independent and they i know they guard their independence very very closely which is which is great um but yeah i think um you know the report lists a whole load of issues and problems and you know potentially things that need sorting out within the dc pensions landscape yeah. and um you know it comes up with a um, you know, we need to end the short-term cycle of um, thinking and the politicisation of pensions policy. And what we need is we need to sort of take a step back and build something for the long term. 
links into your strategy and strategic points you were talking about earlier, Joe. Um, but, you know, I think it just demonstrates that there is so much going on in pensions. Yeah. Um, there's so much piecemeal change here, there and everywhere that, you know, we've gone so far away from that Turner pensions consensus now that, you know, do we need the reset and does it need to be above about more than just pensions? And yeah. do we need to sort of stop this piecemeal piecemeal power? I can't say it, you know, um, this, this pensions policy being made in a piecemeal way. Um, that's less <laughs> of a tongue twister, isn't it? It's the political football, isn't it? Yeah. It is, but, but and sometimes it's a deliberate political football um, and sometimes it isn't. And, and I think that, you know, political football, some, you, 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 we sort of view it as you might have different parties pulling policy in a totally different direction. And I don't well, think I think, we're I think the LTA that. slots into that space, doesn't it? Yeah, the LTA certainly does. Yeah, but but some of their stuff is the, the the political parties are quite aligned in terms mm. of how they want to see certainly the investment stuff develop, and you know, but, but it's not necessarily it's the political football. I think it's more just the constant level of change. Yeah, um, you know, we 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 introduce new initiatives and we introduce new ideas before we've even you know, halfway through implementing some of the old ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, consolidation, dashboard, pop for member, pop for life, consolidate. You know, like you've just got this, let's say it, Nico, smorgasbord, yeah, of policy initiatives that are all sort of aiming to do similar types of things, but we're not delivering any of them. We're talking about them lots. Yeah, there's lots of consultations, there's lots of legislation. Um, you know, and, and the number of times we've, we've, we've talked on this podcast about, you know, this issue being delayed or implementation delayed on on that, then then surely it's we we we've got to get to a point where we agree what the endpoint is, we agree what the outcome is, is 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 that we're trying to achieve, and to develop a roadmap to achieve against that. I will now stand off my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, I was going to use that word too. Um, Tom McPhail's soapbox. So um, this is he agrees, does he? <laughs> Well, I, I, well, you know, well, I, you know, he, he just, I, I, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was using it as a segue, uh, oh, okay, as right, much right, as anything, right. you know, um, you know, you, you do it all the time, so I'm just copying learned behaviour now. Um, but, 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 I think the point, um, you know, I probably made them in slightly different words, but, um, uh-huh. you know, um, but MacPhail is quoted as saying that you know the UK pension system lacks a coherent strategic purpose. And initiatives to tackle individual aspects of the system being fragmented and lack consensus. So I don't think that's that different to what I was saying. Um, <laughs> Let the listeners write into us at vfmpensions.com oh, no, no, no. and tell us whether Darren, uh, you know, successfully <laughs> reported on Tom's article. Um, but that, you know, I'm sure that's not having read it. I can only take on good faith that, uh, that no. you're right, and and, and, and I do. <laughs> oh, no, um, shall I? Shall, I'm conscious we've we've managed to do cover a lot of ground in the news. Um, shall I? Shall I pick up my news story? Yes, please. Yeah. Obviously, um, you don't want to talk about my news story, right? Well, I feel underprepared, and uh, as you know, uh, fully agree with the calls for you and I to co-chair a pensions commission. Um, which we, we hear everywhere we go, <laughs> don't we? Well, you um, should do. I did wonder if you were sort of positioning yourself for that. Who me? Yes. It's, no, um, no, no, no. Yeah. It's, you know, like, they couldn't afford me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ben, I can't afford to do it. So there we go. <laughs> I, have, I have to say, I did have a quick skim of it. And actually, Darren, I think that's a fairly good summary of it. There was a shocking amount of disconnected things. And um, the stat that stood out for me was it 17 pension ministers in 25 years? Oh, there's great stats on that. that. Right, and um, then you you think it's no wonder we've had so much change. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think I did a bad. I, I used my own words, but I didn't do a bad job of summarising it. That's very good. Just but, uh, just on the number of pensions ministers, I think it's quite an interesting stat because because essentially Labour must be a very big proportion of that number. Oh yeah, it was um, every um, nine months or so. Yeah, exactly, and and those guys. So, so, so it's interesting to think about the the sort of pensions. Uh, what is it called, minister? It's not called minister, is it? It's the sort of under secretary of state, or I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't. I never know the sort of governmental ranks. Um, but but so it was. It's a sort of stepping stone in the Labour kind of policy architecture, isn't it? Into the real kind of welfare yeah. uh, areas. Yeah. Um, 
whereas for the conservatives um i don't know i guess it's certainly the coalition it was a sort of place where you just want a steady hand right yeah. um and so yeah the first when did guy Offerman uh lose his his job is under liz trust when Liz trust came in i think it was and then actually no because he left didn't he for a a matter of months and he Richard, left and then, and then um, came back yeah yeah so uh, you know but actually surprisingly long stability under quite an unstable uh period of political time um and then only more recently have we had uh, uh a bit more of a rotating door in the pensions ministerial uh office very indeed day. indeed right nico um, your story yeah look so um we've already covered a lot of the ground i'm gonna uh take us into uh an even even further off lands uh which is the land of climate change so um there is a big read in uh the financial times i think it was published yesterday um let me scroll all the way to the top of it and so you know the title it says the uninsurable world what climate change is costing homeowners um, and this is essentially the the story of the investigative research that the Financial Times has done, Times has done, into people who are trying to renew their housing insurance, their home policies, um, and having the insurer say no, um, and no because there was a flood up your street, or no because there was a severe windstorm. Uh, and the one of the sort of discussion points that someone who's sort of been practicing in climate change for quite a long time is um how does that uh climate risk the physical risk of climate start to land on on the individuals um and uh this is essentially how it does so um in britain we have a thing called flood re which essentially uh is a reinsurance company that enables the the primary insurer to offer that policy uh, and then uh at very good prices pick up the flood risk um uh in a in a reinsurance vehicle backed by the state so essentially those costs are socialized to the taxpayer and what um and what is that reinsurance of reinsurance called nico what is the reinsurance of reinsurance called yeah because that's what the government is basically doing uh it's called reinsurance by no, no, what does the government called, call it, it's, it no it's, it's not it's called retrocession if you're reinsuring re no. reinsurance it's, it's called retrocession oh, fair enough um so of course as you remember the london market spiral was caused by um nobody knowing whether it was reinsurance or retrocession when they're picking up liabilities right <laughs> um and, and potentially reinsuring your own liabilities um, yes so that's yeah, a whole yeah. other lesson yeah we need to um, go to we need to go to bermuda to um unpick some of that nico okay? <laughs> but they still are they <laughs> still are that's the great thing about it um so they took all of their asbestos liabilities and put them into a boat and sort of threw them off um, um and uh they're still they're still working through them you know any uh misa lithothomia claim oh, God, yeah, yeah. now yeah. still gets triggered into into that policy anyway so um in america um where the federal system means individual states are looking after people um there is a, a range of different uh kind of solutions uh backing um whether these these people are just uninsured um or whether they have access to some sort of protection benefits for their for their house of course if you get into a world where you're you own a house on a floodplain say you can't get an insurance policy that means you may have your mortgage removed from you a house which is basically uninsurable and nobody else wants to buy it because it's uninsurable so you could see this sort of physical risk uh, landing as financial ruin to a number of individuals um so some states have uh, a similar floodry systems um and uh, florida and california in particular were, were kind of pulled out um essentially in terms of numbers basically claims on flood re have roughly doubled in the last five years um or, or a little bit longer claims on the californian equivalent and florida equivalent have doubled in the last two years so obviously in california the the disastrous wildfires um i guess in florida uh kind of flooding from storms and, and wind damage from storms um but essentially this is people think that the physical effects of climate change may be sort of far away mm. uh, but in this kind of extreme weather space they don't have to be we don't have to be thinking about 2050 levels of apocalypse before or actually um you're as ruined as you're going to get financially because you're bankrupt and out of the house mm. um so uh yeah i just wanted to 
put that put that onto the desk of our uh, holistic news review this this week. <laughs> it's quite a wake up call, isn't it? And the rest, yeah, and the rest. Um, I think um, you know we often talk about sort of wider issues on 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 this podcast, but the um, yeah the link between sort of climate and you know what schemes we're investing in. Mm. And and you know like we've we've talked before about lots of schemes rushing to you know commit to a net zero target, and um, you know and that's and that's sort of great in one sense. Um, but but I welcome your views, um, Jay, or just on that. You know, what what can we do as a sort of pensions industry, especially from an investment perspective, to really start properly tackling some of the challenges that Nico is setting out there. Um, you know, we're, we're, pension schemes can't solve it all. And I think mm. when governments try, try and put everything on pension schemes, um, they're going to fail. Um, but, you know, this isn't just a marketing ploy for pension schemes now, is it? You know, this isn't just, a, yeah, we're part of a club that is going to try and sort of tack out, tackle some of these big issues. You know, schemes are going to have to start really doing something about this. Otherwise, we're not going to have a society and a planet in which people can enjoy their pensions. So it makes the industry sort of... Uh, Moot. Well, well <laughs> yeah. I was going to say worthless, but, you know, mute is, is, is exactly uh, the right word, Nico. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's always the tricky bit because you can kind of do things in your investment that make you feel good and make your numbers look better. But the question back is, does it make has it made any difference at all? Yeah. <laughs> and so that that's what does worry me that there's a lot of pressure for schemes to do the things that make them look good and perhaps less underneath. And this is where I think having because as you're right, DC pension schemes or pension schemes as a whole is only part of the capital market system and the, you've got your UK bit, so you've got all the other pension schemes and all the other asset owners. And it's how you get them all to do, if they all could all do something together that has more power. And I guess pensions as a starting point, as we get bigger, we have more of a voice and we can make more of a noise with our asset managers yeah. and in turn with the companies. But you do need that, I think, concerted. It'd be lovely to have an... In in, it'd be amazing if everyone was sort of pulling in the right direction and you have policy in the right direction that would but at the moment it's sort of it's a bit like the pension system isn't it there's lots of kind of fragmented things all doing slightly different things and you've still got people who don't believe at all and don't think it's the right thing to do and that's quite hard yeah um i think there's too much people that just want to be associated with and be seen to be doing the right thing rather mm -hmm. than fundamentally affecting change I think, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, that, and, I, and, and, and I can see why, you know, I can see some of the drivers and motivations behind that. Um, but then that's I, right, I, I think it's quite a dangerous position in a few years time, actually. Um, if you've marketed yourself as being like this, this shiny green, very polishable uh, climate change scheme, um, whatever, whatever that means. And then, you know, A, you're revealed to be, uh, you know, unable to keep up with the okay. science. I think that's a very difficult thing just because you know net zero is 2050 um uh, we'll either realize that 1.5 is dead um or we'll start talking about net zero 2045 2040 who knows quite how tight they might make it the europeans just came out with their plan to be net uh, sorry 90 percent reduction by 2040 um uh, the other day um and, and exempted agriculture which is a whole other story um so uh Amazing. the french are on the streets right yeah. uh, the french farmer is on the street um so and um, they really are on the streets at the moment yeah. aren't they <laughs> oh worse they're in the town they're outside the town halls with their mark spreaders um yeah, yeah. so uh they're, you know don't don't get in they're the making an impact farmer. then they're definitely making yeah. an impact um so so you know in a few years time when you've said you know we're kind to the planet in whatever way you want to frame that um, and it's revealed that the planet is still being damaged um and that kindness is not remotely as kind as you you wrote it you know there's the whole scope three emissions problem which is if you want to uh, say that you're planet kind and you're not taking it into account um then when you have to take it into account you're being revealed to not be planet kind um, so I think there's a lot of issues here. Um, I mean, the, the, the place I was going in my mind is that, you know, mandation is coming. Um, so if you if you take a kind of historical stream here um, and include essentially the kind of third wave politics revolution of Tony Blair and other other uh, politicians around the world, 
essentially bringing private finance into roles for the state, um, then uh, really what we've got now with, with huge fiscal deficits, um, massive debt overhangs and an aging population that hasn't fully been taken into account in those debt overhangs um, is a state that doesn't feel it can uh, spend money to invest in climate change mitigation or adaptation. Um, but could invest to create financing vehicles to enable those things. Mm. Um, and so at the moment is trying to use what has been sort of reframed as uh, catalytic capital. Um, so essentially, I put in a billion to create this 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 sort of uh, form of market investment, which then fiduciary capital will actually make money from and can sit alongside uh, you know other pension scheme, other insurance company investments. Um, but I suspect at some stage, you know, all institutions will be forced to play their part by investing in that, that those those different solutions. Um, because the the danger here, the alarm bells are only going to get worse and worse over the next, well, who knows, <laughs> until those sorts of things are put yeah. in place. Right? But I think your example about not being able to reinsure like housing, for example, because mm. I've heard other things about you can't get insurance by a new coal-fired power station, which I think personally I think is right. a good thing. But mm. actually, the more of that happens, then actually it's kind of real. It's a actual tangible real. People then sort of see it as a reality, and that we do mm. need to do something and make a change. Mm. At the moment, I feel it's it's a little bit nebulous, and it's it's like someone else's problem. But if if it's actually then your problem because your food costs more or you can't show your house mm. and actually people will start making a noise about it and then demanding this is my hope again I said I'm an optimist but if if you see mm. that wouldn't you demand something of your politicians to help fix it or of your pension or your insurer yeah, yeah. it's the salience of the issue though isn't it so mm. again you know if, if people can link their high inflation and low wages to climate risk then I agree, you know, that kind of immediate pain, you can you can see the ballot box um, being affected by. Um, if if it's sort of, let's say it's 10% of the population who live in kind of coastal communities or exposed to extreme weather event communities who are essentially financially destitute, does the other 90% of the population, you know, allow that kind of heating and eating challenge or whatever the current kind of issues are uh, to be dominated at the ballot box by sort of climate change issues I don't know it's difficult I don't, yeah um, I suspect climate change is is one of those things that both parties will sneak in without having put it into manifestos mm. um, as we saw with Theresa May and the 2050 net zero commitment mm. um, so That's it would right, be great to la labor in 97 we're making the Bank of England independent <clears throat> yeah yeah um, really? So, um, yeah, there we go. Well, We're probably, that's probably our biggest news section, isn't it, Larry? Probably For ever, yeah. And it's so good that um, Joe has been at Aeon for so long. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> because, because I think we might, we, we, we might get some time back. I don't know. <laughs> so, Joe, how did you get into pensions? <laughs> Well, I was going to say by accident, but um, it's kind yeah, of hard does, true. But also, it's also yeah. hard not true as well, because I remember when I was 17 and I was thinking about what to do at university and I was always going to go and do chemistry mm. at university. So I quite enjoy chemistry. I had a lovely chemistry teacher. And then I read, an, I remember sitting in a friend's living room and I read an article. Someone put an article in front of me and said, read this. And it was written by a female actuary and it was about her life as an actuary and what she enjoyed. And I remember reading it and thought, oh, that sounds really good. I want to do that. I want to be a naturally. Well, I was 17. I don't know how many people come on and tell you that they want to be a naturally. They want to be a naturally. I, I, th I think Neo and Nico. Um, yeah. No, no. no. <laughs> so I then changed tack at that point. So I'd already done my university visits on the chemistry department. And then I filled in my, what was it, UK, UCAS form at that point. Mm -hmm. And I changed it and I, I applied to do maths. So I did a maths degree. And then from that, I then applied for actuarial jobs. And at that point, it was probably accidental in that I just wanted to be an actuary. And I hadn't really thought through whether it's pensions or general insurance or insurance or investment. So I got a job at Aon in the actuarial team, started working there in 2000. So this is still my first job. Um, although, as you can tell, I've changed around a little bit since. <laughs> um, so I I qualified. Was that, was that London? Uh, that was actually in Farnborough. Okay. Yeah. A lovely farm office where you get a really good view of the air show, which again isn't a very environmental thing, but um, you can get a good view of the air show when it's yeah. on. Um, 
but yeah, so I did, I sort of worked in the DB actuarial team for about four or five years, um, learning how to do transfer calculations and how to value a pension scheme. Um, there's nothing quite like getting your data reconciliation to tie up when you have a really <laughs> old scheme with really old data and you're just like, it ties up. That's amazing. Is 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 that cause to go down the pub and celebrate? Is that what actuaries do? Pretty right, much. Think? I mean, yeah. that's really good. That is. So yeah. that's <laughs> a high bar. That's you. like a high highlight. <laughs> I still, I still remember those moments. You have like little moments, don't you, that you pick out mm. where you think, oh yeah, I've done that. But um, after a bit, I sort of got involved with ALM work because I think more schemes were doing sort of stochastic modelling, looking at strategy, and that sort of tipped me into the investment world. So I then mm. started doing DB investment advice. So worked on that for probably about five years, and then when A1 bought Hewitt, I had to think about what I wanted to do. It was a kind of slightly different firm after that and so I actually moved into our fiduciary team to to work on that I did a bit of work around flight plans sort of journey plans for DB schemes and then someone said oh shall we do something for DC and I thought yeah I really want to do that so that is what I did and I think it was realizing that DC schemes were massively underserved and a lot of people had said oh it's DC it's really simple just chuck it in a bit of equities and bonds and leave it mm -hmm. and so I started doing that and it sort of opened my eyes in terms of what you can do on a really tight fee budget and you can actually mm. do quite a lot um so i think it teaches you some very very good things about how to look after people's money how to think long term mm. how not to get <laughs> distracted by all the short-term noise in market nice. and how to get mm. the most out of every little bit of basis point you have to spend on fees so it's a very good discipline i think there's probably a lot that other people in the industry can learn from having to to work in that um mm. But yeah, so that's sort of my career journey. But I've always Excellent. been at AIM. <laughs> but the people, it's the people that keep me because uh, I've got wonderful people around me. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, but you know, people make businesses, don't they? They right? do. Um, they, they certainly do. That's why they I do. spend so much time doing this podcast with Nico. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, what, what next for you? Not not necessarily. I'm, I'm not talking about um, career moves or anything like that because I, you know, that's probably going to be a very quick conversation. But you know, what what do you want to achieve, achieve within the pension sector? What do you, you know? What does good look like for you? What do I want to do? So what I want, well, I'm, yeah. What what good looks like for me is I want to keep delivering really good returns for members. I want to help people. I want to make a difference to people. And I think we are hugely privileged that our clients, we've got corporate clients, but underneath we've got lots of members who are clients and they range in in wealth from all sorts. And it's a huge spectrum. And so they're actually people who don't have very much in terms of savings to people who have quite a lot. But actually through, and that's one of the things that drew me to DC is that through that and the, the work that I do and the ideas that I have and the ideas my team have, we can actually make a difference to everybody and the people with just a few I say a few pennies that's a little bit of an understatement but not very much in their pot we can make a, a difference and actually potentially mean they can have a, a much better retirement I would also like to make a difference to to the world as we go that sounds a bit grand speaking but if we can play our part in the transition and making it a better place and I've got two kids downstairs I quite like to leave everything a bit better for them than when they came into the world that would be a nice thing to do mm. Yeah. But that's the kind of sits alongside yeah. that fiduciary responsibility of the return bit. Yeah. And Joe, are you still doing maths? Are you still breaking out the Excel spreadsheets? I do occasionally. I'm I'm kind of told that oh, I probably shouldn't do it. I should leave it to others, but I can't resist every now and then. Right. Once yeah. a spreadsheet geek, always a spreadsheet geek. Yeah, there is that danger. But the only thing is all the Excel um formula have kind of moved on. So there's lots of like really stuff that I, don't know. <laughs> I haven't been told how to use now so i have to go back to basics and excellent excellent so so, so, so i'm not trying to lead to the question here um uh, but but um you know what does value for money mean to you joe is it is it that excel spreadsheet <laughs> <laughs> is it the excel spreadsheet um, no although i do enjoy an excel spreadsheet um but no i think for me value values is all about the outcomes that that people get and yeah if we can get someone to deliver a return that helps them get to their retirement goals, that's a, a really good outcome. Um, I, was that a, I was speaking to somebody yesterday, actually, and we were talking about the comparison between 
the Australian outlook on life and the UK outlook on life. On life. And I thought they summed it up quite nicely because they were sort of talking about in Australia, the the objective is to get get a really good return. And from that, you then think about minimising fees. In the UK, the objective is to minimise your fees and then you see what return you can get. Yeah. And when they put it like that, that might be a bit extreme, but it, it made me think, well, that's absolutely... That's crazy, isn't it? That we put so much, we kind of have flipped it around the other way. And actually for members, this should all be all about getting returns so they can support themselves in retirement. And if we don't do that, we're doing them a disservice. So I think we've gone too far. It's, it's spending your money wisely, getting the most out of it, but also thinking about that return. That's a really nice, um, like Dave, David Harris will be happy. <laughs> because he you know david harris loves talking about australia and um but did you think that's changing joe do you do, do, do you think that cost um value returned changing is... but so slowly and i think it's come from years of being told by governments that cost is everything yeah. and we've had that when i when i started it was all and for years DC was all about getting costs. And if you had two funds and you weren't sure what to pick, you'd always go for the cheaper one. Now, yeah. maybe that's the right thing to do in any case, but you'd kind of ignore any other impact. It was always about cost. Yeah. And we've had sort of successive things that have come in, like around charge gap and stuff, which have reinforced that. We had bulk transfer rules ages ago that reinforced that again. Yeah. Not to say the charge gap isn't isn't bad, because I think it's there were probably some very poor value schemes where actually people weren't getting, they were paying a lot for poor service and poor returns. So hopefully that's helped fix some of that. Well, yeah. so, but for so the big schemes that are well run, I think that's, you haven't yeah. got that issue. No, exactly. And I think, I, I think the charge gap can be blamed for a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I don't know if I, I, I don't always think it's a bit it was, of a mentality thing and I, I, I think, think that will shift I think I think that's right so so I think that you know if you if you look at um statements from the DWP and the regulator there is a point at which they stop banging on about costs and start banging on about value yeah, yeah and yeah. and it doesn't take a, an actuary yeah although it'll be a better chart and it'll be better presented in itself <laughs> if you've got an actuary to do it um to look at what was happening economically and where the political debate was when that actually happened yeah uh -huh. um but so 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 i think you're right that you know the word mentality yeah and how we just think about dc is is really strong also i think a lot of it's driven by market dynamic yeah so charge so charge cap yeah um you know it was to get rid of the worst excesses there was some form of, you know, we, we, we lost the stakeholder charge cap for some reason in that world of pure defaults um, when, you know, in, all the investments were passive. Um, uh, then, you know, a, a, a charge cap in the early days of auto enrollment probably made sense. Yeah. Mm. Now you've got a more sophisticated market. The, the, the charge cap doesn't really buy. It's irrelevant. It's everyone competes. Yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. So, so, so the real problem is actually... Um, you know, I don't, I don't I wouldn't want to say employers are the problem, um, but you know, but but ultimately people value low cost, mm. yeah, and um, no matter what consultants say, and I know you you work for a consultancy firm as well as doing the investments and the masters stuff. No matter what consultants say, if you've got two schemes that are broadly broadly equivalent. And, you know, the main difference is one on the hand, one hand, it's a slightly better, more sophisticated investment strategy. On the other hand, um, the other the other one might be um, slightly cheaper. Nine times out of 10, it will go for the slightly cheaper because it is more tangible and it's human nature to it do is, that. Yeah. And, and, in, and until we shift that, you're always going to have that mm -hmm. bias or not you. So we're yeah. always going to have that bias as an industry towards cost. Yeah. And I think what's what's a bit sad as well is that I've had cases recently where I have asset managers knocking on my door saying, can we come and talk to you about our lovely private assets funds? I know it's going to cost more. And on the other side, I know that their pension scheme has gone on cost. has been has moved providers and it's been a cost decision. And that's really frustrating when you see that and you see part of that business choosing on cost and part of it trying to sell you something that's much more expensive but should have a value. So even organisations themselves are not joined up. And that is, that's frustrating to see. I do hope that will change. Um, I think it will, we will get there, but I think it will take, I think it will take a while and we'll need a concerted effort yeah. to educate people on what the, the other benefits are. So, so do you think the separation um, of the sort of administration and governance costs 
from investments and just clarity in that a is kind of fee fee feasible are you going to call it the the third pass for old amendment yeah yeah that's that's what it is dick i know we claim full credit for that like we we, we, we achieved two policy ends um one is to to resurrect the discussion about pensions uh commission in the popular press if not in the political (laughs) consciousness (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, but we have genuinely so so um we can claim i think um the, the the transparency in the value for money calculation and the value for money consultation and and obviously a debate to see whether that's actually going to ever be implemented um but uh so so in there splitting the discussion of the costs due to investments from the other costs um do you think that would help i mean you, you know if we start to see these very large auto enrollment uh vehicles have single digit basis point uh, investment budgets and uh, these sort of uh, smaller consultant-led, uh, you know, targeting higher, richer, uh, uh, average premium schemes have, you know, three, four times that. Um, would that start to help? Do you think? I think it might do. I, I don't think there's a huge amount of transparency at the moment between mm. what's invest, what pure investment, and what is platform. And I think it's quite easy i think particularly where you're doing both if you've got providers who are running both it's quite easy where does the where does the line stop so that that will be an interesting when we see those disclosures as to how people actually choose to split it i suspect some of the underlying costs are a lot lower than people (laughs) for managers i think the underlying spend will be a lot lower than people expect so it could be a really good wake-up call actually to say actually did you know you're only spending this on investment i think i think nick Nick kind of set that Apart. I think Nick, Nico was hinting at that quite strongly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it could be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't disclose the budget that I had at the People's Pension, um, but I did increase it when I joined. It was a sort of condition of me joining it, um, and I'm aware that a number of the competitors in that space mm. have much lower budgets. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah. I wouldn't look at the budget that I had me. for yeah. you know when I left, sort of 15, 16 billion, as being particularly rich. Um, but obviously it goes a lot longer, goes a lot further when you have a lot more money. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's a funny space for the conversation. Uh, but obviously, if the government wants us to put illiquid assets alternatives in, they are more expensive. Um, we should talk about charge, um, charge excuse me, um, we should talk about performance fees. Um, because I think that's a really interesting kind of part of the value conversation, which is the government says we don't have to think about it, but they're still important, aren't they, Jay? Oh, they are important. And I think the well, the industry at the moment has a bit of an I say allergic reaction to performance fees. And when I talk to a lot of asset managers, they kind of raise it, but all the feedback they get is fairly fairly negative on it. But I do think it's worth having a look because in theory it should be really well aligned. If you've got yeah. a fund that is performing, why why shouldn't you pay a bit? more for it if it's performing and a bit less when it isn't there's a whole load of stuff about fairness that i think worries people and probably puts people off but i do think as an industry it probably we owe it to people to have a proper look at it that's probably an area which actually benefit for some broader research where you haven't got one person trying to prove the point yeah that yeah. a more balanced view so i would yeah be very supportive of that it's something i'm quite open to as well yeah so, so, so pensions you know, commission you, Oh, yeah, yeah exactly we, <laughs> add it to the list we, we should because we, we're never let's be realistic Nico. we're never going to be asked to do this yeah so um, do you want to rebrand this podcast we're well, no, just going to call this the pensions, the, commission. the pensions commission yeah oh that could be quite good couldn't it i'll see if, it, I'll, <laughs> I'll see if it's available before this, this episode goes out it's too late to, oh yeah okay you've got this afternoon yeah yeah um Oh God, oh God, take, take it into say. your own hands. <laughs> but, but but I can see, I can, you know, in terms of the investment fee budget, I can see that in the early days of auto enrolment, you know, um, admin costs were really high for schemes. Yeah, really, really high. Um, and if you've just got an AMC only pricing model, you know, um, a, a high AMC on admin, you know, um, where you're 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 managing, um, you know, some very very small pots. Yeah. Um, means that the economics are just fundamentally screwed, yeah. Mm. Which is one of the reasons why we need to so, so, solve the small pots problem. But I think that now, as the market has matured, as schemes are bigger, as scale is is the name of the game, um, then you know it's right to have that transparency now, and it feels like a good point to bring that transparency mm. in, not necessarily retrospectively, 
because you know I think that um, in the early days of auto enrollment it was primarily about admin getting people in um, making sure things were, were working getting things set up um, but these are some big big schemes now mm. um, and I think that sort of fundamentally changes some of the dynamic mm. how are we doing for time Nico? terribly Terribly. <laughs> well, so, wonderfully. So, so, this is our fiftieth and possibly longest episode. So, so well, well, you know, in in our pre-call with Joe, and in our twenty minutes or so before that we went live with the podcast, um, Joe did actually say, "Blimey, you you don't have to go on a bit, don't you?" you know, uh, <laughs> I did and we not said say it like just that. flies by, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Flies but it has by. just flown by. <laughs> it has, it has. Always, always good pensions chat. Always good yeah. pensions chat. So. So is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to plug? Oh, I mean, I think we've covered just such a lot of ground. It's been wonderful to talk to two fellow pension-minded individuals who, who don't mind chatting about pensions. <laughs> I'm happy to be a Found geek, but I, 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 thought, I thought you were going to um, enroll me into the Actuaries Club there for a minute, Joe. We were <laughs> no, about I'm, to, we were about to fall out big it. time. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, you won't want me. Sit, you won't want me. I sit, I sit on nominations committee for the for council amongst many of my uh, uh, unfortunate <laughs> sufferings. Um, so the honorary fellowships. Uh, you know, watch this space, Darren. Watch oh, this space. Oh, 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 um, oh. That would be a great podcast cast as well like, like uh, this is your life this is your honorary fellowship of the IFA <laughs> set up all of your fellow pensions geeks and <laughs> they can talk through the kind of spreadsheets they have known you build <laughs> okay wait I'll leave that um, I'll we leave need that a production one. company down this uh, is uh, uh, this I'll leave that one to you Nick. Yeah. yeah thank you <laughs> Cool. Um, so uh, next week we have got Joanne Seegers. Um, so looking that, forward yeah. to that. And then we've got Helen Dean. And I'll be up at the PLSA Investment Conference. Um, Ooh, are you taking your microphone? Um, I will take my microphone. Yeah. 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 Um, so we will. We'll do. I won't be quite doing it from the live of the floor. No. The PLSA, but we'll be doing it um, when we're up there. So totally committed to this podcast. And then we've got Charlotte O'Leary for, from Pensions and Purpose. And I know Charlotte is um, giving evidence. I think next week we're make my money matter and some others on the and this will be more up your street, Nico. But the uh, Financial Markets Law Commission, the definitions mm. of fiduciary duty and the report that they did mm. um, to the extent that you can take um, into account things like climate and other impact factors into your investment decisions. So that yeah, we can talk about that in a few weeks' time. Yeah, um, I, th I, think I find be... it. It sort of demonstrates my lack of uh, understanding or care about the legal profession. Um, right. Anyway, but we, we it's like, but it's like, can you can you stop getting in the way? And then they write these huge papers previously, which says there's no need for you to be in the way. And now they've written a short paper which says there's no need for you to be in the way. Yeah, and, um, and it's and it, and it uh, says <laughs> and what I love about the paper it says that this is a deliberately short paper, and it's yeah, it's, it's twenty three pages. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, not, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I did enjoy that read. Um, but but so we've got a fantastic guest lined up. Uh, Joe, yeah. thank you very much for being mm, such a great sport. So thank Thanks you for joining us. Um, we didn't have any. Um, we had, didn't have any good outtakes. We didn't have any of your kids coming in at half terms. No, they must be hiding downstairs. They must be. Yeah, um, nervous of Nico. He looks quite <laughs> scary, doesn't he? Uh, That's so unfair. Oh well, there we go. But but no, yeah, brilliant podcast. Thanks so much for joining us and and for thank sparing you. your time. That's fantastic. So, um, Nico, until next time, um, look until forward to chatting next, next week. Yeah, um, it's goodbye uh, from me. It's goodbye from me and Joe. And goodbye from me as well. Thank you for having me.